Today, our focus is going to be on Storage Wars. Now, have any of y'all ever, y'all know the show Storage Wars? Y'all seen that before? It's on A&E Network. I've told y'all before, y'all, I'm the worst TV guy. I, I wish I could give a testimony of saying, oh, I don't ever watch television. It's not good. I watch television, and I, I love reality shows. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm ta it's like Storage Wars, not the junk stuff. I'm talking about like the quality, classy stuff, you know, like Storage Wars. And stand naked and afraid. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, stuff like that. But, uh, but on that show, it basically is like a garage sale to me. I mean, you know, so it's, you go out, you, there's these uh, storage units that they haven't been paying on. And so uh, buyers can go in and make bids to buy whatever's in these storage units. And then once they buy them, then they can take the stuff inside of there and then go out and try to sell that stuff and try to make a profit. Now, what's interesting is the storage unit buildings, that, that is actually like a booming business in the United States. And I, I would guess that probably most of us here at one time or another have had a storage unit. Now, what do you use storage units for? All the stuff that you can't fit in your house, you take it and you put it in a storage unit. Now, I read an article about storage units because it sort of fascinates me about how many of those places that I see. And uh, in Consumerism Magazine, here's what it says. It says, Americans own a lot of stuff, and we don't like to get rid of it. Now, it's admirable to keep your old things in place of replacing them with new things, but that's not exactly what we're doing. The growth of the self-storage industry tells us that what we're actually doing is packing away the items we can't bear to part with but don't want to trip over on a daily basis. Now, that's how we use storage units today. We just keep all the junk that we're probably never going to use again, but we don't want to let go of it. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, there's, we're really storing up more than just old TVs and couches. There's a lot of us who are also storing up anger and bitterness and grudges and stuff that we don't want to let go of, but we want to hang on to it for as long as possible. And so that's sort of the idea of today's message, Storage Wars. And that is, how is it that we can, can take all the stuff that we've, that we've just sort of stacked into our storage units and get rid of that stuff, clean it out. Clean it out so that we can have a fresh start. Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see Paul writing a letter to a group of Christians who lived in the town of Ephesus. And, and he shared with them that there were some things that they were storing away in their lives that they didn't need to have there anymore. There, there was some stuff that they were putting away in their storage units that they needed to clean out. And, and I think the same thing is true for most people. There are things that we are hanging on to that don't really improve our lives but that actually weigh us down. And so I just want us to look at a few steps we can take to do some cleaning in our lives, to get rid of some of that stuff that we are packing away in a storage unit that does not do anything to build our lives up. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look in verse number 25. And so Paul was writing, obviously, to a group of people, Christians, who were living in the town of Ephesus. And as he was writing to them, he was letting them know, hey, listen, once you, once you become a follower of Jesus, and once you decide you're going to live for him, it says Jesus changes your life. 
He makes you a different person. And, and that's what we are told in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And Paul said, listen, when you become a follower of Jesus, here's, what's ha- here's, what, ha- here's what happens. He says, you take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you put on the new self. The one created according to God's righteousness, or likeness in righteousness, and purity of the truth. Okay, so if we are followers of Jesus, then folks, that means there's some stuff in our storage units that doesn't need to be there anymore. So the question is, how do I clean that stuff out? Well, we see a few steps that we can take that Paul points out to us. And, and this is interesting to me. If, if we're going to begin to clean out the junk like anger and bitterness and grudges and all the wrongs that have happened to us and how we've gotten the short end of the stick, and we're going to let those things go, it begins with this, a commitment to a short-term memory. If you want to let some of that stuff go, if you want to clean out your storage unit, then you have to have a commitment to a short-term memory. And I want to read to you in verses 26 and 27. Paul wrote, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now I believe one of the most damaging things in any relationship that a person can have is us having a commitment to a long-term memory. You know, we've all heard the phrase before, I'm sure, uh, I'm going to bury the hatchet. Y'all heard that one before? Now, we like to bury the hatchet, right, because we, we want things to get better. But what most people do is when they bury the hatchet, they like to leave the handle sticking out. You know, so that you can go back and just kind of grab that sucker back up. And it's like, and, and there's nothing more frustrating than when you feel like you've been forgiven, and then five years later, somebody pulls that thing back out and just like bludgeons you to death with it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Anger, if, you, if, you've, if you've been wronged and you've experienced anger, anger is a natural emotion. It's not something that is foreign. It's not something that, you know, that, that God never intended. Anger is something that is natural. But the key for us is how do we handle that anger? Now, I've noticed that, that for me, the people I tend to be angry at the most are the people that I know and love and care about the most. Is, is that true for some of y'all? I mean, yeah, isn't that weird? Like, why, why is it that I've become angry and more frustrated at the people I love and care about the most. And, and it's, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, for starters, it's because you're with them the most. Right? And when you're with somebody the most, you notice more stuff about them. You pick up on their idiosyncrasies. I mean, you see them at their best. And you also see them at their worst. And so there, there are times whenever you become angry at them. So the question is, whenever they've wronged me... When somebody I love does something that hurts me, how am I to respond to them? Well, Paul gives the answer in verse number 26. He says, be angry and do not sin. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this might shock you a little bit, but did you know that there are times when it's okay for you to be angry? And there's a thing called righteous anger. Um. Now, here's the key. You, don't always, you and I don't always have it. I always like to say, well, I'm angry right now because it's a righteous anger. Well, it's not always a righteous anger. Now, now, Jesus gave an example of righteous anger. When Jesus went into the temple cl- complex, it, Jesus called that place, it's a house of prayer. You remember what the people were doing inside of there? They, they, t- they turned it into a marketplace, and it angered Jesus. 
And so Jesus went in, and he starts flipping the tables over, and he tells everybody to get out. Y'all, he was not doing this like in a joking manner. He was angry, and it was a righteous anger. And so that's how Jesus went in there. Now, there are times when you can be justified in your anger. The key is, when you are angry, the Bible says, do not sin. Now, several times the Bible speaks of anger as being kindled. And that is referring to anger as, it's, it's like a fire. And we, we still use saying, sayings like this, I was mad as fire. You know, whenever somebody does something like that that bothers me, it just burns me up. You know, you've heard, so that's where it comes from. And so anger is related to fire. Now, if you're not careful with fire, it can get out of control and it can cause a wildfire and burn everything down. And there are times when we become angry and that emotion overtakes us and we end up saying things that burns everything down around us. And we think, man, I wish I would have never done that or I wish I would have never said that. You know, I was thinking about how typically whenever we respond or we live in anger, that, y'all, I can, I, and this is in, in all honesty, I cannot think of a time where I thought, you know, when I was overtaken by anger, the stuff that came out of my mouth, I, w- I was absolutely shocked at how much wisdom there was. I mean, have you ever been angry and spoke words of wisdom? Now, at the time I thought I did, I showed them, but you look back on it, you're like, that was not good. Never been a time when I've responded in anger and I allowed it to eat me up and I thought the actions that I performed in the midst of my anger, I would love to see my children model that. Never, that's never happened. When I am overtaken by anger, I look back and I realize, man, I made a huge mistake. Now I look in our text today and I realize That anger is normal, but the Bible says you can be angry, but do not sin. Aristotle said this about anger. He said, anyone can become angry. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, he said, ah, this is not easy. So, So how can we overcome anger that we have towards someone who's wronged us? And it comes to this. Have a short-term memory. Now, what does that mean? A real simple term we use in the church all the time. Forgiveness. If, if you don't want to be eaten up by anger, there comes a time when you must practice forgiveness. When you let it go. Now, you might say, well, you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand how my my husband or my wife has treated me. You You don't know what they've done to me, and you're exactly right. I don't know, but I do know this. If we hang on to it, anger will get into your life. It says the devil will get an opportunity, according to verse number 27, and and that anger will take root in your life, and that bitterness will eat you up and destroy you. That's what anger does. There is a, a story about... Uh, 50 years after World War II, they had a story, the AP did, talking about how all throughout France, there are still unexploded bombs everywhere. They're down in the ground, and uh, 50 years later, they said there were bombs that would explode just sort of at random times. In the 1990s, 13 people were killed by World War II bombs that just exploded. Uh, The lady who wrote the article about it 
said something that was rather interesting. She said the reason why these bombs are blowing up, she said the older they get, they are, they are corroding, and she said, and they will unexpectedly blow up, and we don't know where they are, and if anybody's around it, it will take them out. Guys, that is what anger does. And when we keep it in our storage unit, saying this happened to me years ago, as time passes, that bitterness will begin to corrode in your life, and all of a sudden, you're just going to explode like a bomb. And if anybody's around you, they are going to take on the shrapnel that you release, and there are going to be things said and done that you never intended to say. So to keep that from happening, there has to be forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 it says, be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, the first step we can take to clean out that storage unit is that we have to have a commitment to a short-term memory. I'm not saying this stuff is easy. I'm just I'm telling, you what, I'm telling you what Paul said here. But, but here is also another step we can take to, to empty our storage unit, and that is to commit to a selfless perspective. To not be selfish, but to be selfless. Now, look in verse number 28. And, and this is kind of interesting. Paul's talking about thieves here. He said, the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, obviously, this verse is addressing the issue of stealing. Now, when somebody steals, the question is, why are they stealing? And, and basically, for most, it comes down to this, selfishness. And somebody robs a bank, they're trying to get something for themselves. Somebody busts out a window in your car and they take your stereo. You know, they, they are doing that because they want to get something for themselves. It's a selfish perspective. Uh, they, they don't steal from you and then wonder, boy, I hope that really didn't affect them too badly. They don't care. I mean, they're just simply looking out for number one. Now, that's what Paul is addressing here. Paul is addressing this issue saying, we well, you know what, as believers, we are called to put aside our selfish interest and begin to look to others. In other words, he says that what we are trying to do is we are beginning to put other people before ourselves. Now, if, if we do everything out of selfishness, then that means that whenever people don't do things for us and we are selfish, then we just sort of, we sort of stack that back in the storage unit. That guy wronged me. He didn't treat me like I wanted to be treated. So Paul is saying, but when you put others first ahead of yourself, then you're not putting anything else back in that storage unit. Now, I, I, str I'll be, I, I struggle with this. You know, my, my nature is selfishness. This is my nature. Your nature is selfishness. The, that's why the first word that most of us ever learn is mine. It's because by nature, we are selfish. You know, I, I know for me that, that I expect everybody to be, to be happy and on their best behavior when I show up. When I come home from work, I, I think Emily's just going to be excited every time I come home. And she is, like 99% of the time, right? And so I come in, and I expect her to be excited. And I expect, I, I sit down, and y'all, this is what I'm thinking. I'm just being honest with y'all. I'm thinking, I can't wait because I know when I get home, I'm going to eat. I just expect that's going to be there. And then I expect after I eat that I'm going to sit down in front of the TV and I'm going to turn it on and everybody's going to come and watch what I want to watch. Y'all come on in. It's naked and afraid time. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all come on in. It's our, you know, ESPN, whatever it might be. And, I did, and then I wonder, I wonder why nobody likes to be around me. Well, you know, when you're selfish, 
you know, you're not exactly the most attractive person in the world. But when you give, when, when you are selfless, it, it is revolutionary. That's why Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now the question is, is that true? I mean, can you think of a time in your life when you were more blessed because you were willing to give as opposed to looking to receive? You know, there's there's an old story about a farmer who every year they went to the fair, he would always win the prize for having the best corn. And so they asked him, he said, how in the world do you do this every year? And it was interesting, his response, his response to it is he said, well, for me to have the best corn, he said, I make sure that my neighbors have the best corn as well. Like, how, Well, how does that happen? I mean, what's the deal with that? He said, well, he said, when the wind blows, he goes, it, the, what they have is going to pollinate or cross-pollinate what I have. And he said, so I want to make sure that if I'm going to have the best, that my neighbors have the best, because what blows in from their fields is going to come on to me. And so he gives, and when he gives the best, he said, I receive the best. That's when, whenever we give, when, whenever you give and you are blessed by it, you know why you're blessed by it? Because when you give the best, you're going to receive the best. You're going to receive a blessing out of your giving. Now, you know, so that, that might, maybe that's true in farming, but I don't know if that's true with people. Yeah, y'all, I promise you it's true with people, and I can give you an example of how it's true with people. Just think about some basic things. Uh, yeah, young people. If, if you don't normally make your bed, tomorrow morning, if you get up and you make your bed, you know who's going to be absolutely shocked and thrilled to death? Your mother. And you know what? You might even, I, you might even get up the next morning and there might even be waffles on the table. She's going to be, it, it's going to affect her. Husbands, if, if just out of the blue, if you decide that you are going to write a thank you note to your wife and just say, you know what, I just want you to, you, have been, you are a blessing to me. And you leave her that note, you know what's going to happen? She's going to think you're cheating on her. No, I'm kidding. She's going <laughs> to she's gonna read that note. And she's going to be blessed. Right? She's going to be blessed. And you're going to be surprised at how it's going to change the way you interact with people. When you give to others and you share with others, it will bless your life. Paul's point is very simple here in verse number 28. And he's telling us to take the focus off of yourself and put it on other people. And whenever you do that, you're not worried about storing up stuff in your storage unit. Because your focus is on somebody else. And you are serving them. So you want to clean out your storage unit? I want to clean out my storage unit. Well, if that's going to happen, I have to commit to a, a, you know, for for a selfless perspective, to commit to a short-term memory. But then this, this is the last one. If I'm going to clean out my storage unit, then I have to commit to uplifting conversation. I have to be careful in the way that I speak. Now, I want you to look in verse number 29. Paul's real, he's real blunt here. It's real simple to follow. He says, no rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. It says, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. You know, it, it is amazing to me that one of the most powerful and influential parts of who you are as a person is what comes out of your mouth. 
one of the most powerful parts of your body is your mouth. The Bible tells us in James 3.8, it says, No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, most of us would agree that, that great potential for harm can come out of what you say. The way, the way you speak can change somebody's life. That's why Paul says, he says, don't let any rotten word come out of your mouth. That word rotten, it means putrid. He says, whenever you speak, you, you are either putting perfume on the life of somebody around you, or you are spewing trash all over them. I'm not talking about, and that obviously, it also this includes cuss words or things like that. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the, the way you use your speech. You, know, you can say things that are innocuous, but the way you say them, oh man. I can say some things that, are really, that, that look good in writing, but the way I say it can be devastating. So, so how are you using your speech? Paul said, don't, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, any rotten word come out of your mouth. He said, but the only kind of speech that we are to use is the kind of speech, he says, that builds people up. That, that is speaking of a house that is being built. It's got a solid foundation. It's going to be sturdy. It's something that people can live in. When we speak to others, Paul says that your words should be the kind of words that affirm the kind of words that build somebody up, that encourage and help. In encouraging words are powerful. It's incredible how an encouraging word can change somebody's life. It'll change the way that, that you respond to other people when you're given encouragement. Um, I, I think I've shared this before, but there was a study done by some scientists, and they took in 44 doctors, divided them into two groups, and they gave out a hypothetical situation and said, we'd like to, for you to give a diagnosis. Okay, 40, uh, 44 doctors divided into two groups of 22. Uh, the one, one group they came to, and they said, this is the, this is the um, symptoms that we have. I want you to do a diagnosis. But as you do this, they gave each one of them a bag of candy. And they said, well, we, we appreciate you being here. You know, thank you for taking part in this study. Uh, really grateful for your help. They went to the next group. They didn't give them anything. They just simply told them, Here's the, here are the symptoms, you come up with a diagnosis. Here's what they discovered. The guys who got the candy gave a more accurate diagnosis than the guys who didn't give it. Now, they were all educated the same. So what was the difference? The difference was encouragement. Because they were given encouragement, the best came out in them. Now, if you want to see the best from your husband, from your wife, from your children, from your neighbors, from your co-workers. Speak words of life to them. Give them words of encouragement. Find something they're good at, something they've done well, and tell them thank you. Compliment them. You see, people need affirmation. And oftentimes what separates a person from mediocrity and greatness is encouragement. But whenever we are putting away all the wrongs that have been done to us in the storage unit, and then we speak that trash to other people, it is destructive. 
and it will destroy your relationships. Now, I don't know about you, but I looked at this and I thought, you know what, I have some stuff in my storage unit that I need to get rid of. And maybe there's some things in your storage unit that you need to let go of. I mean, y'all, why do we even have storage units? We don't need them, especially spiritually speaking. We need to let some stuff go. And how do we do that? Well, it begins with forgiveness. There could be some wrongs that have been done to you, some things that are very grievous that have been done to you that I wouldn't even understand. But let me tell you something. I want you to know that it is through the power of Jesus Christ that he can remove those things. And there might be some of us, and we say, you know what, I'm actually the guilty party. There are people that I have destroyed with my words, that I've destroyed with my actions. And and you can look at that and say, "I I would love to have a fresh start there, but I don't think anything can be done because it's been too long. And if you feel that way, let, let me share with you just a word of encouragement. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can clean out your storage unit, even if you don't feel like you can. He can do it. So, saying all this, well, what do we do with all this? Well, we trust that what God says is true, and then we respond. And so I just want to give all of us just an opportunity to respond to God. It it could be there's some of you, and you've been wronged. It could be by a spouse, by by children, it could be by a co whatever, by just somebody. Man, it is eating you up. And the entire time, you know, you're, you feel like, you know, I am consumed with trying to figure out how I can stick it to them. Let me tell you something, it's not healthy. It's not biblical. And it will not satisfy. I know because I've done it. And then after I do it, I think, you know what, I think I need to do that again. It just, it's just a never-ending crazy cycle. So what, what needs to happen? Let it go. Now, I understand we, we, I can't do this on my own. We need the help of God to do it. And so what I'd like for us to do, if that's some of you, if that describes some of you, then let's just, let's just all of us, let's bow our heads. And, and maybe there's some things that you can, you can right now, you just automatically, you can think of some things right now. Why don't you just bring those before God and say, God, today I'm going to, I'm going to take you at your word. And Jesus, I'm going to let those things go. Lord, I'm going to offer forgiveness. And Jesus, I pray that through your power and through your strength that you will move me each day away from that anger and that bitterness that I am hanging on to because Jesus, I want to know your freedom and your power. I want to live in joy. Now, it could be that there are others of you, and and you've been the offending party. I just want to encourage you where you're you're seated right now. Why don't you just talk to God and say, God, this is something that I have done, and I I am asking for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive me for doing this, for thinking this, for acting this way. And as King David said, it is against you, and you only have I sinned. 
Bible says that God, as we bring that before God, that God forgives. Now, God forgives, but it could be that the person that you've wronged, it could be that, that you need to approach that person or maybe even just write them a note and say, I have wronged you in this way, and I just want you to know that I acknowledge that, and I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. You know, I, I believe there are many of us, we are bound up and frustrated in this life because we are hanging on to wrongs that have been done to us that have kept us in bondage. When Jesus said, I came here, I lived, I died, I rose from the grave, that you could live in freedom. Guys, let us live in freedom. Let's clear out our storage units and live in the joy and in the power and the promise of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for I thank you for your forgiveness, God. You know, I know in my own life, there's so many times when I want to get my pound of flesh and I want to get my justice. But God, if I were to get my justice, the fact of the matter is I would be condemned because, God, I've sinned against you. But, Lord, it is because of your forgiveness. Lord, it is because of the new life that you have given me. God, that I can live in peace. And I pray that as Christians, those of us who follow you, Lord, that we would reciprocate that to other people, that we would live like you. And in just a few moments, we are going to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and God be reminded of why we even have forgiveness and why we have a, a second chance. It is because you came. Lord, you gave your life on a cross. And then you rose from the grave that we might have life. Lord, I pray that you will bless this time as we take this, this supper, this memorial meal. God, may we honor you and be grateful for what you've done for us. And I pray this in Christ's name.